Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 72. This week, we're joined by our gaming buddies, Dave and Chris, as we talk about our greatest gaming regrets in our feature review. Our At the Table will have Speakerstadt, Medici, and Terra Mystica. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. And this week we have a great surprise for you. We have Dave and Chris joining us here this week. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Dave and Chris are our friends for Myriad Games. We used to play with them before the store closed. And we're still gaming together, so we thought we'd bring them on here this week, and we would talk about some of our biggest gaming regrets, some games that we got to the table, and some general gamer talk. But before we get into all that, we wanted to talk about some current scheduling things. So first off, you may notice back on episode 71, if you downloaded the podcast early, you actually got an uncut, unedited version of the podcast. You may have seen my uh, outreach out there saying that there was some problems. It was like this perfect storm where people weren't available. And then I did a podcast with Drew. But then unfortunately, for some reason, the podcast didn't record properly. So Daniel jumped in and I was able to do the podcast with Daniel. But depending on how he listed and labeled the file, I sent the wrong file to Anthony and he uploaded the file and it wasn't the edited version so my apologies if that wasn't great my thanks if you liked it and the new and the edited episode is now up so this may be an explanation for nothing because maybe you never listened to that other episode but nonetheless both were out there at some point so we hope that you enjoyed them and also wanted to talk once again about episode 74 that's our listener feedback episode so once again my heartfelt thanks to Daniel for volunteering Anthony to take all your emails, tweets, questions, letters, packages, you know, whatever you've done to kind of connect with Anthony, we really do appreciate that. Yeah, thanks Daniel. <laughs> Daniel is the man. He went out of his way there and man, thank you Daniel. He thank is you. really good at volunteering people to do things. <laughs> Daniel, thumbs up, man. No, but seriously, I've gotten a lot of great feedback already. Uh, lots of people interested in sharing you know, their thoughts on various topics. Lots of questions going out on Twitter. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about. So if you want to make your voice heard, you should contact me so that I can diversify this. Otherwise, we have a handful of people with a lot of opinions on a lot of things. <laughs> um, another cool thing we're going to do is if you are interested in being on the podcast for like a quick five-minute interview, talking about what you like about gaming and you know, just in general, get your voice heard, because I know a lot of you have a lot of cool things you want to talk about. Um, hit me up on any of the billion things that Daniel volunteered me for, and uh, we'll schedule something real quick, because we have space, and we want you guys to be involved. Yeah, so be sure to hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, our guild on Board Game Geek, or send us an email at boardgamersanonymous.com. We have a number of different ways to get in contact with us. And we really do want this episode to be all about you. And let us know your favorite games. Let us know what you're talking about. Let us know what your gaming group is doing. 
give us some shout outs. We'll shout out to your friends and let them know that you're listening and that you're thinking about them and feel free to lord it over them that you destroyed them in that last game and you just kind of want them to relive the beating that they took. We're absolutely positively fine with that. So any type of conversation is good as long as it's the, I don't know, Dice Tower PG-13 rating, right, Anthony? That's that's about right, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So I know that you have a lot to do, but please take a couple of minutes, respond back to us, or you can also go on iTunes. Really appreciative if you could drop us five stars, but put a comment in there and we'll announce that on the podcast as well. Do we want to talk about how Board Game Geek is down and we're all crying? I'm really upset about that. Well, if it was unscheduled maintenance, then that'd be one thing. I like the fact that they they put the the link that says if you're a real addict, go here. Yeah, and it's like their Google Plus circle thing. Well, it's it's embarrassing when you go there and then you remember the last five posts have been made on that Google group <laughs> because you went there every other time to shut down. <laughs> then you do know you have a problem. Then you have a problem. Yeah. Ah, good times. <laughs> come back, come back. I don't know what would it cost for them to actually bring that that website into like the 1990s. Probably not much, but it would probably just require. Well, it probably costs a lot because they need someone that knows what they're doing. Okay, and it seems no one there is that, so they're gonna have to pay someone. So probably a couple thousand at least. I don't know why they don't just do one big fundraising drive because I know they'd make the money. They might not make the money because there's so many people there that don't want that format to change at all. You think so? They just changed. Okay, so they made a minor feature change where they moved the logout button from underneath the subscription button, and there was like forum posts instantly about like outrage about like how that button moved, and I don't know how to log out. How do I log out? I can't log out. <laughs> like, like five pages of this, and it's like, oh geez. I mean, it 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 really would cripple their like membership if they made any drastic changes. It's literally the central depository of, like, all board game geek knowledge on the internet. And it's, like, from the 1980s. And anyone new coming into the gaming hobby is just going to hit a wall with that page. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even now, it's just, like, I go in there. I'm, like, I don't know how to do half the things that go on there. I I, The only reason I learned how to, like, totally utilize it is because I did Secret Santa last year. Okay. My Secret Santa made it the conditions of getting the gift like doing these different things on board game geek so i basically like learned the ins and outs to get a board game which is like that's legit you know okay. legit. yeah so why don't you share one or two of the things you learned how to do that would surprise us that we don't know how to do i don't know if it would surprise you but there's like a whole bunch of weird like sticky forums to get like free like to get your avatar to get your geek gold to get your micro badges to like like that we could go in and find users in your area that you can, you know, uh, see the analytics of the game in a little more detail. I mean, it's really not that deep. Like nothing on Board Game Geek is so, I don't know how to say it. So, arcane? So, yeah, there's nothing arcane on there, but it's just hidden. You know, there's a lot of hidden information that's mostly useless. It's a shame. There's a lot of good information there. And and I and then like I learned something, I started doing it. Next thing you know, you get like 500 posts and connections and stuff. And it's just way too yeah. much. Yeah, well, it's like some of the best things are like really just making efficiencies out of their system. Like, there's like the meta list for geek auctions if you're into the auctions there. Yeah. And then there's, if you find out about that, there's another one that's like the aggregation of the geek list items from auctions that are put onto the meta list. Jeez. And you can subscribe to that, and then you see every auction item that comes up as it comes up. Hmm. 
but most people don't even know about the metal list. So like 20% of the auctions don't get on there and like people don't post it right. So like don't even work at hmm. all. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I feel bad. I never did any of the auctions because I just stay away from it because it's just it's too much of a hassle. Oh, but, but the, it's the auctions are awesome. The auctions are the best part about board games. Yeah, you, you get games for like crazy low prices on there, which is that's, a shame. That's how I got speaker stuff. Ah. Speaker stuff. <laughs> All right. So with that said, and now at the table with BGA. Now, we're at the table this week. We got three great games to the table. So, Anthony, tell us about Terra Mystica. Yeah, definitely. So, it was an awesome day. Um, we went up, headed over to Dave's house, and Chris joined us, and Daniel was there, and we played all these great Euros, which is another awesome thing, because usually if you play a lot of games in one day, half of them are Seven Wonders and <laughs> random card games that nobody actually wants to play. So, we played a lot of awesome games. Dave and Chris are going to talk about a couple of them here in a bit but the one i wanted to talk about that i kind of begged to get to the table when i saw it was terra mystica i haven't played this one in much too long despite owning a copy of it and it's it is one of my favorite games regardless of where it deserves to be ranked in a certain top list but it is uh just a fantastic all-around euro that just implements a lot of different things very effectively. I mean, going through all the rules and talking about everything you could possibly do in this game would take half the podcast. I'm not going to do that. We did do a full review of this game way back on, oh gosh, I want to say like, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. So if you want to hear like the full blown thoughts on the game, you can head back there. But basically, you know, you're building out your city on this map with, in this case, we had five players trying to take over these different areas and terraforming to, to match the, the land that you need it to be and then building your various Catan-like structures that we could never remember the names of. Some of them are towns or settlements or something. And getting all these different bonuses from all these different things you're trying to do and then trying to manage your workers and your priests and your money and running out of half of it at any given point in time. Um <laughs> Again, not the best description of the rules, but definitely an awesome time. Very happy to have gotten that back to the table. Eager to get it back out again now that we've kind of refreshed on the rules after all that time. Yeah, we um, talked about this on uh, episode 22, so you can get a full kind of playthrough, walkthrough on that. But uh, I, I know that Dave just kept remarking on how he felt that this game should be the number two game of all time and just not dispute that any longer, so... And as a Euro gamer, I understand. We go to ga- Dave when it comes to Euro games. That game is very overrated. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Would any anyone we know, Dave? There's no way it's the second greatest game of all time. There's, I can think of like 30 other games I'd rather play instead of that. But it's a good Euro game, still. There's many other games in the same genre, strategy games I'd rather play than Terra Mystica. And it's, I don't hate the game. Like, I'll play it. I'm not going to be enthusiastic about it. But, you know, it's it's a little bit dry. Like, the, the priest track is dry. I feel myself losing interest halfway through the game. You, we're just doing the same thing over and over again. And, like, priests don't feel like priests. It's just another form of cash and soul workers. So you have, like, three resources, like cash, workers, and priests. And you're just building these different structures and terraforming the landscape. It, the game looks pretty on the table, but the dopamine isn't really flowing. That's what I'm really going for. That's how I rate my games. <laughs> I hear that. I mean, I have a lot of problems with the game based upon when you look at the box and you hear about this being the heavy euro and you hear about this being the 
second top game on Board Game Geek's top 100 games, and you get it out. It's a, it's a good game. It's just it doesn't feel like the number two game. If you make, I would say, a minor mistake early, you spend the rest of your game paying for that mistake because the game is so tight, which I like, but since the powers are asymmetrical, if you're not on board right from the start of what your race should be doing and you're figuring it out for like a turn or two, you're done. There's really very little little opportunity to come back from then. I just want to say for Terramisca too, like I know the component quality is awful and, you know, it it's really abstract. And the way you, I think anyone could tell that is like the online play community of Terramistica is huge. There's yes. like hundreds of people playing it and that implementation has no soul it's you could per code in and play the game strictly by entering lines of code and people do that so wow i appreciate the fact that this game has incredible meta to it and that it does it can carry the weight of that meta because when you get into that game and you're looking at the pieces and you're trying to strategize yeah you could just see that the numbers are flying around your head this game really deserves the tournament level play that it can get but I don't know. It just seems to be something a little bit missing from that. I've omitted some of my biggest problems with the game. So number one, the, the balls of power is is very fiddly, and it's like I don't get the thematic reason why you have the, your balls of purple pieces of wood. What I hate even more is the the six tiles for each round that incentivize building certain structures, upgrading things. And if you're not following that program that you're setting up each game, if you're not trying to maximize the bonuses that you can get from that, you're going to fall behind. You're not going to be competitive in that game. And I, I prefer when the game's more open and I have a bigger array of choices of interesting things I can do. Yeah, I think for me, the pain about this game is not hate. It's just disappointment. Because I, I do like the game. I do like that how much of it it makes you invest mentally into the game. I just wish it would just do a couple of things a little bit better. And maybe the asymmetrical powers would be more thematic and more integrated with everything else you're doing. Because the asymmetrical powers seems almost like if you don't do it right, you're doing it wrong. And everything else is just building the same type of way. But it's a good game. I like it. I would pick it up if it was on sale but it's not something I would pick up at full price. I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is like an epic <laughs> fantasy adventure. Thematic. There's so many different factions. You could tell there's lore in this. It's... It is. And the theme is the same theme like Splendor has theme, where if you look at the big picture, <laughs> you know, you see you see the houses are producing workers when you play them, the churches producing priests. It's there. It's there. Yeah. Use your imagination, guys. It's a board game. I, f I feel like this has the same situation going on as Lords of Waterdeep, where people that are not playing Euro games, they know that there's dwarves and elves sprinkled in there somewhere, and warriors and clerics, so they they want to play that, and, and they're playing a Euro game, dry, soulless Euro game with, with something painted on. And Terramistica is, is somewhat in the same category, but like I do like that the witches fly around and the dwarves go underground. That's neat. But um, it's it just doesn't excite me as the way it does to Anthony. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's fair. I mean I totally understand where you're coming from too. I was actually surprised I like this game as much as I do. 
And when people ask me why, I have a hard time finding an exact reason why. It's I just enjoy playing the game. I like everything kind of flows together and you're building up, you know, this engine based on whatever specific asymmetrical power you end up having. So I enjoy that. And I have actually had a, I have had a fun time every time I played this game. I do agree, though. I don't think it's number two all time. I would put it in my top 50. But I don't think it would make my, my top 10. I just want to say before we move on that I disagree with both of you guys uh, complaining <laughs> about the opponent quality. Oh, components. Like, I don't have a problem with that at all. Like, I, like the little shapes of the different buildings, and I like the colors that they painted them. Like, I, like I don't have a problem with the, the components. It's just the, the gameplay, the choices you have to make on your turn aren't as interesting to me. No, I mean, I agree. I, I mean, that's my my problem with the game. It really isn't the components so much, although it does bug me that these are Catan components. And honestly, I want a different component, especially those larger buildings that are just these oddly shaped cubes. It just doesn't follow. It church doesn't look like a church. Or, I mean, it's just a weird, these weird kind of squares and c- cylinders. <clears throat> not that it, it's not pretty. It's just it doesn't thematically guide you. It's well, a game I've, that would benefit from 3D printed pieces, for sure. Something. Just give me something. So it just – because I know when I look at the board and they're like, oh, this benefits off this. I mean, we talked about this when we were playing the game. I understand that they're going language independent, but this game could really use just a couple of lines of text in here. I got great news for you. Next week we're going to be playing Alpha Land where we have uh, <laughs> painted boots that we move across the board. Okay. <laughs> 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 Look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have components that make sense in a game and that they weren't picked up at a uh, Catan yard sale. I'm sorry. Okay. Catan is like, their components are like the most widely known on the planet and this just does not work. But yeah, I mean, I like the asymmetrical powers. I like the artwork in the game. So it's a decent game. It's a play for me. All right, Dave, why don't you talk about a, a game that we got to play that you really did like? All right, so we got to play Sh- Speakerstadt by Stefan Feld which plays, it says two to five, but it's really not, it's a waste of time if you only play it. You should only play it with four to five players. And it really sings with five players. It's a short auction game. It takes 45 minutes. And the players are going to be, it combines the ideas of worker placement and auction. So there's like a shipping, mercantile, warehouse type theme and the players are going to be bidding on different cards that that are arranged in a, in an array so each each round the players are going to have a bunch of cards to to bid for that enable you to get points in different ways true to form in like in many other Stefan Fell games you can lose points when the fire comes you have the lowest number of firefighters you're going to lose points but you can make points if you have the most firefighters and it's it's a light game. It's it's you have interesting choices to make about how much to bid and where to place your workers. And I had a great time playing with you guys. Yeah, I really love this game. I know we got to play this once before. This is a Feld, so I am whittling down the number of Felds that I that I have not played yet. I am about 60-75% in right now. There's something about this game that's really interesting despite the fact it's a really light kind of game. And I think it's where when you place your meeples, and see, once again, this is just a generic component, but it works here. So when you're placing your meeples and you are altering the cost of the cards, when you're placing them all the way to the right and you're dropping a meeple down there, you got to kind of figure out and use some psychology. It's like, is Dave going to pick this card earlier, which then is going to use his money up? So then 
the one that I'm the meeple I'm putting up all the way to the right is going to be available to me because if not, if he's not going to take that early one, he's got more money than I am and I'm wasting my meeple down there. So it's I like that simple psychology, but it's really engaging for you know a simple kind of marketplace bidding game. And I really do love this game. And if Dave, this is out of print, right? Oh yeah, it's been out of 2010, thereabouts. One of the outstanding things too is it's very elegant. There aren't excessive parts and moving things that that don't contribute to the flow of the game. The players stay engaged. There's no downtime whatsoever. The game has a very pleasant flow to it, and it does what it does uh, very efficiently and well, and it's, it's fun. Yeah, I would say this would break out into my top ten after playing it. Wow, it's pretty. It's I I think it would only go that way because I have one auction game in my top ten. Sure, that's raw. Okay, and I don't know. I think Speakerstop may take that. Yeah, I think this is top fifteen for me. I really like this a lot, and I would pick this up full price anywhere. And I heard that the expansion really adds a lot to the game. It's a it's a highly sought after expansion. If only Dave would spend you know a couple <laughs> of bucks and get the expansion, it wouldn't be so cheap, man. The, the expansion is very scarce and very sought after. I was just in an auction on Board Game Geek a few days ago, and I bid eighty-seven dollars for a used copy, which it doesn't have a lot in the box. And somebody outbid me ninety dollars. <laughs> wow! So, yeah, that's, that's, that's ninety dollars for a deck of cards. That's, <laughs> well, there's a, there's a few pieces of wood in there, I believe. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. If you couldn't tell how popular this game was or how well deserved the praise was, there you go. Ninety bucks. <laughs> I mean, I would say you don't hear people talking about it much like five years after it's been released. And, you know, you don't see people playing it much, but it's, it's a, it deserves to be played. It's a, it's a very well-designed game. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. I don't generally like uh, straight, pure auction games, but this was very, as you said, very elegant, very tight. For a game that has that many rounds of just pure auction, it flowed very smoothly. And even despite making questionable decisions early in the game um there's a lot of options for me later on and it's fun when you pull off like a big win in any one you know turn (laughs) or you pick up like two or three really good cards for one coin makes you feel really good so (laughs) it's definitely (laughs) worth it yeah i like so much about this game because we keep talking about the auction mechanic but it does have that classic euro cube mechanic where if you win the auction for a ship you're getting those materials and then if you have the right cards, you can change those materials and for money, or you can fulfill contracts. A lot of cube moving, but it's not so much. It just feels like the right amount of cube moving. And then there's this element where you can buy victory point cards, and it feels like just the right amount, not too many cards like that. And then there's these these other cards that kind of like the number of the cards that you have, the, the points kind of multiply. And there's just like the right number of that. And then there's a couple of other special bonus cards. So... It seems like he kind of hit on the right number of each of these unique type of cards so that no kind of path was the ultimate victory path. Like you had to have this one card and it plays – it just got that right bounce. Enough Euro, enough depth, enough strategy, enough tactics, but not too much. Not too heavy, not too long. It plays really quick and it's – it's fun. It's really, really fun. And and also the amount of take that that you could put into a game oh, that really was... <laughs> is not something you see often. That you could just say, like, you know what? I see what you're going for, and if you think you're going to win with that card, that's never going to happen. 
you could do that. You could block someone off entirely and change change the <laughs> game like at any point. I think that was one of the best moments last night when when you and Dave were jockeying for that for those cards. You just see looks back and forth at each other. He places a meeple. You place a meeple. He places a meeple. <laughs> well, and he played it down too, like it was no big. The game's so tight. You know? Yeah, everyone's so close. It really any one card could make the difference because I remember Dave saying to me, "It's just four points," and like he was four points behind me at the end of the game. You know, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, the winning score was what nineteen? Yeah, no, no, it was a coin because you me and um, me. Chris tied. Yeah, both of us oh, tied, right. and, yeah. and you won the tiebreaker by one coin. By so, one coin. Yeah, good game. Oh, such a good game. All right, so that's good. Uh, Chris, tell us about the the next game on the list. Okay, so this is a game that I play all the time on my iPhone. Uh, this is Reiner Knizia's Medici, and it's a totally themeless auction game. Um, the theme is supposed to be that you're these Italian brokering house and you're bidding on goods. The reason this game is unique as an auction game is that you every tile has value, so you're trying to go for the most points in your shipment, but you're also trying to get the most bought of certain types of goods. So there's multiple paths to points. Um, it's weird that we played two auction games, I <laughs> think. Um, but they were, but this is a game that I, I can play in five minutes on my iPhone. I've played it a ton and breaking it out in real life was just something I really wanted to do. And Dave of course has a copy in his collection of out of print games hidden away. So it was great to break it out and play a game of it. Yeah, you can actually pick this up on iTunes for just ninety nine cents. So that is quite the deal. Yeah, and it, it, the replay value on the iPhone is it's really high. I think that AI yeah, can be set to a pretty extreme level of competency, and it can be pretty frustrating losing to robots that way. But... <laughs> what I really like about that game is when you're trying to win these auctions, you want to get enough or a lot of one color so you move up the track and get those bonuses. But at the same time, because you're trying to collect a lot of those, typically the numbers are not going to be so high because it goes from zero to five. So you could collect multiple fives, which will win you the bonuses at the at the end of the turn, or you can go the colors, or you can kind of go a little bit both, and you really have to go a little bit both. So it's a really nicely balanced game. Like you said, not really much on theme at all. I mean, the theme is kind of not even existence, but... You know, that's a Reiner Knizia game. Yeah. But uh, a lot of fun. Man, I was really surprised by this. Yeah, it's a, and it's a, such a quick game. I mean, I'd almost call it a filler game yeah. for up to six players it plays too. But it really feels like every time everyone's engaged, the auction, like the whole game, everyone's paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, that part was really cool to me is that it did feel like a kind of a warm-up or filler game, and yet it plays so many people. And because it's an auction game, it plays better with more people. So... It was a very uh, quick, fun, light game. Like you guys said, pretty themeless, but not, you know, once you pull the board out, you know that you know what you're getting. Um, there was no surprise <laughs> there. So it was enjoyable. Dave, what'd you think? I enjoyed the game very much. I don't have a lot to expand beyond what you guys said, but it's a great game. You should definitely pick up a copy if you see it on the shelf in the store. And I had fun playing. Thanks. It's- is this another out-of-print game? Oh, yeah. that's th- That game was printed in 2006, but I believe that it was first published in, like, like in, the late, in the late 90s, yeah. And that was, so that was a reprint, that's and it's almost 10 years old, that reprint. 
I really don't understand what is it about board games that this is not like, oh, the game's 20 years old or 25 years old and clearly it should be out of print. These games are not that old. I mean, for a Feld game to be out of print is, it makes zero sense to me. I don't know why these games are out of print. I think we're seeing the effect of the cult of the new in the board game community. And I think that, I hope that goes away. And I think reprints are becoming more of a popular thing. Like I saw Mexico's getting reprinted and a whole bunch of different games are coming around with reprints now. But sure. Who knows? Uh, I'm on a personal crusade against the cult of the new. Okay. So, like, I, I don't even participate in Kickstarter at all. I regret not kickstarting, let's say, Aquasphere and Orleans when I found out about them. But I I never look at Kickstarter. It's, it, there's so many exciting, awesome, well-designed games that are already have been published, and you just have to read about them or find out about them, and you can hunt them down. They're not prohibitively expensive. I just don't get people being so like fixated on games that have not been published yet. And you, you don't even know what you're going to get, if the thing's ever going to be produced, and if it's going to be good or not, and you're waiting a year or two years for, the, for it to, to come in the mail. And you're missing out on, on some wonderful games that, that you know people just, for whatever reason, that they're looking forward, they're not looking backward. But they're missing the boat, I think. Yeah, Chris. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking to you, man. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes there's good new things as well. And supporting, uh, you know, upcoming publishers, and uh, that's that's a good thing. There's balance <laughs> to be had. I don't know if we're there's. the right guys to talk, to, to teach people that. Well, I was talking to someone that designs games, and I, I remarked that you have a tremendous burden as a game designer. If you're you're going to publish a game, it has to be as good as all the good games that have been made already. Or else why should I why should I buy it? Why should I play it? When there's there's like hundreds of games that have been made and, you know, a few hundred that are awesome, that are just incredible that you think about when you're at work that I can't wait to play this game. Like as time goes on, your new game has to be better than all the games that came before. That would just discourage me tremendously from trying to make a game. I think authors of books face the same dilemma and Mm. luckily i don't think they've come across that point where no one's going to write the next the only book that's going to be written and no one else will ever overcome it i don't i don't see that being a problem with the board games either sure but at the same time you have the literary classics and the cinematic classics that people are not forgetting about the same way people are playing them anymore it's wonderful games well, I wish more would forget about it. I mean, I'd be getting copies of Speaker Stop for less than seventy, eighty dollars. I got mine for less than thirty. <laughs> rub it in, rub it in, rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you do forget about your old classic, <laughs> wonderful games, feel free to donate to any one of us in the Board Gamers Anonymous crew because. We would love to uh, find a loving home for those games. We'll put the luster back on that box art and you know, adopt them into a new home that <laughs> appreciates them for what they are. Absolutely. Jeez. Like Dave was saying, it's and, and, and you too, Chris, like you open the box, you look at the box, and you're like, wow, this is just outdated. Like when we're looking at Medici, like, oh, we're going to play this for how long? And you get it to the table, and you're like, I want to play this again and again. And it's just like you open up a book, and it's – it seems archaic. It's it seems passed over. It seems a little dusty, and it there's nothing new and interesting about it. And you, you dive in, and you just you, you just love it. And that's what I find with these games, especially these cl- unknown classic gems, that they have such value. And and you know the new games are great. There's some outstanding great games, and sometimes the new games make certain things better than the old games. But more often than not, 
the old games are, that are good are untouchable. At least it seems that way. No, definitely agree with that. I think that there is a large amount of old classic games that and I think, too, that's also mechanics that were thought out from a very different perspective than now. Sure. There's a lot of theme push, but who knows? That's a lot of conjecture. Yeah, I mean, take a look at chess. I mean, there's been, I don't know, probably a billion different versions of it, and yet there's nothing better than just the classic chess. But hopefully we'll get some new games to the table, and next episode we'll be talking about those, and hopefully we'll find some rare gems amongst those games. And now, BGA's feature review. So for our feature review this week, we're going to talk about our biggest gaming regrets. You know these. You're really excited. There's this great new game coming out. Maybe it was on Kickstarter. Maybe it was this rare, supposed classic game. Maybe you won this auction, and you couldn't wait to get the game to the table. And you finally get it there, and it just is terrible or it's such a disappointment or the hype was just too big and there's just something about that game something about the experience in gaming something that just totally utterly let you down that it just it just sticks with you and haunts you and usually haunts you because it's a giant cardboard box that's in your closet and you can't get rid of it because no one's going to buy it from you and you're stuck with it but nonetheless these are the biggest gaming regrets So to start off, I'm going to start with one of my biggest gaming regrets, and I do hope that it won't stay this way, but when I was starting to get into the more thematic games as part of the board gaming hobby, one of the games that I was really, really looking forward into getting was Star Trek Fleet Captains. Now, in particular, I learned about this game when I started watching the Dice Tower videos with Tom Vassell. And I think at that time I was looking up Star Trek stuff because, yeah, I'm a geek. Okay, we get it. Um, They had Star Trek Fleet Captains, and it was amazing. It was this huge box, and in the box had, I would say, somewhat authentic miniatures from the show. So you actually had the Enterprise D, and you had the classics, and you had all the different ships. And it was like these really cool models. It was individual ships and not just kind of a generic starship. It was each of the ships from the TV show and the movie, and you could play all of these ships. And in the box came the Federation, and it came the Klingons, and it had all the classic Klingon ships, and how could you not want to play this? And it had all the cards, and the cards were very thematic, and it has the screenshots from the show, and they were really nice and shiny. And it was huge, and it was epic, and it was this big space battle, and it was going to be really thematic and strategic, and I was so, so excited and then I got the game, and I opened the box, and it was Heroclix, and the Heroclix wouldn't turn, and the bases were kind of messed up, and some of the ships were kind of broken, and the cards were incredibly thin, and the tiles weren't really tiles, they were these super thin pieces of paper that, with the slightest breeze, they would fly off the table, and you were supposed to put your ships on them and they were supposed to flip over and they really couldn't do that because they would even curl up a little bit. And the insert that was supposed to hold all these ships was incredibly complicated. It wasn't labeled. And if you didn't put the ship back just right, it would break off one of the pieces and it was just tragically complicated. And the rule book was a nightmare. 
it was this overly complicated kind of stereo manual where you had to kind of flip through all the pages just to figure out where you were going. And because the rule book was so complicated and because the game was so expensive, when it first came out, it was going for $100 just for the base set that nobody was reviewing this game to any large detail. Nobody was doing walkthrough videos. No one was giving explanations. And then I came to learn about the poor production quality of WizKids and their poor customer service because all I was reading on the Board Game Geek forums was how many people had broken ships, how many of these click bases weren't turning, and I was finding the same thing, they weren't turning, how people were putting up these elaborate drawings where you had to unlatch the bottom and you had to go in there with an X-Acto knife and you had to trim off the extra plastic so that it could turn. And then even if when it did turn, you put it on the, the board you really couldn't see the numbers anyway, so people recommended you buy these additional pieces to kind of keep markers on your cards, and it was exasperating. And then on top of everything, the game really wasn't strategic. It, it's, a, it's a kind of thematic game, which was interesting because when you would move on to a new tile, you would roll a die, and then what would happen was you could have an encounter, and if it was an encounter, you would actually have one of the incidents from one of the TV shows. So it's pretty cool. So you would land and, oh, that was the triple episode. All of the Star Trek that I grew up with was here available in this game. But unfortunately, because of the huge cost, nobody was buying it. Because of the lousy miniatures, no one was getting this to the table. Now, if that wasn't enough, but unfortunately, because I was such a Star trek I picked up the expansions. So I not only double down but triple down because i picked up the romulans because i'm a big romulan fan and then the dominion came out and i had to have the dominion so right now i have star trek fleet captains and the two expansions and they have yet to get played and it just it's really my biggest gaming regret that's a pretty big regret <laughs> that's a pretty expensive regret too very expensive regret and i think on top of which too was not long after star trek attack wing came out so, mm. it once again, it was still WizKids, but at least it was painted miniatures, and it had a decent gameplay to it. So, now I have Star Trek Fleet Captains and Star Trek Attack Wing, so I have a whole bunch of Star Trek. And Star Trek is kind of hard to find people to play with, because you have to be a real Star Trek fan to love these games. Yeah, I think that's all the Star Trek games, unfortunately, carry that. But I'm, I'm here for you. I'm a Star Trek fan, and I understand the pain. I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, <laughs> agree with that one. Ah, WizKids! <laughs> Why does WizKids have this IP? They do such a poor job. Why couldn't Fantasy Flight have it? So it could be this whole segment. Is WizKids? <laughs> I've, I've, I, yes, it can be. And my part will actually be on WizKids, but we'll get to that then. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully, Chris, I can get a day or two to kind of get this game down with you, and we can kind of fix all the miniatures and fix the hero clicks and get a game or two this played, and hopefully this regret will turn into just a... A casual bad memory and a happy future maybe I, I hope so i feel like you know i need to fix your regret now that's that's some seriously serious sad story you it's just a, shared. it's it's a bad story man because i'm a big star trek fan and i'm just it just hurts because you look just, at it and you're like oh, no it deserves better so anthony what about your biggest gaming regret yeah this was a funny one when it came up on the calendar i was like oh okay so Let's look back through all my purchasing decisions and point out the one that I'm least proud of. Good, good. <laughs> this is a great exercise. <laughs> There's a couple of games that could land on this list, and I think in the end it had to come down to 
a game that started its life on Kickstarter, and then I didn't buy it on Kickstarter, but I had not played it when I bought it off of Kickstarter, and that should be really all you need to know. It was a poor decision. We actually reviewed this game at some point. It's not even that bad of a game, but there are so many issues with it that it makes it nearly unplayable um, in a lot of different ways, and that's myth. The... The thing about this game that got me is that, like most of these miniature Kickstarter game, you know, campaigns, and there's a lot of them now. So this one, when it happened, there were you know maybe one every two to three months instead of one every week. But it was one of those big giant games where if you went all in, you were spending four or five hundred dollars and get expansion after expansion and stuff, and it'll all show up on your doorstop, and the mailman will curse you because it weighs six hundred pounds. The the game itself, just the base game, released, I think, around the time we were at PAX last year. So we, when we were at PAX, they had copies. The guys were there, and I had not backed it, and people had started getting their copies around that time. And I was like, oh, those look really good. The miniatures look really good. And the, kind of the dungeon crawl feel of it, the way the game was described sounded really cool to me. It's the kind of game I like. And... It had everything I look for, kind of open-ended storytelling options, uh, unpainted miniatures so that I could paint, decent quality on those, and fantasy setting of some sort. So it looked interesting. It was very expensive, so that's always good. And I I think we wandered (laughs) around packs for, God, I don't know, like three or four hours, and I kept thinking, like, well, I could buy one game because I budgeted for that. There's this or this or this or this or this. They do have Myth in stock for the full retail price, a game that I have not played and that was just off of Kickstarter. Uh, I don't know. And then that's what I ended, what I ended up taking home, um, unfortunately. The, the game isn't actually that bad, but it took me at least two weeks to learn the rules. I'm still not sure I learned them properly. The rule book is literally a nightmare. The expansions have been trickling in for a while now, and the prices on those are very high. People who bought like the whole thing in that original campaign definitely got their money's worth. The situation on it was that they actually, when they started doing new stuff for it, they rewrote the rule book, um, so you could get that as part of the secondary Kickstarter campaign. Shouldn't have to do that, but obviously that's what happens when you go through Kickstarter is the game isn't fully tested and you haven't had enough people read through your book and teach themselves how to play. This is another one of those ones like Chris's, and we did actually play this, but it's not a bad game, but the whole box of fun mechanic, as Chris called it when we did our review, mm-hmm. only works if you teach people how to play it properly <laughs> and then set it up sure. so you can continue playing. I haven't played it since. It's been sitting on my shelf ever since. Um, it's a really big box, too, so it's just sitting there reminding me of the very large sum of money I spent on it, you know. All the best to the guys. It's a solid game, but it's definitely a regret because that's there was a lot of other stuff at PAX I could have picked up with that budget. Yeah, we talked about this on episode 27, and I think that was the problem. Like, they went for, like, this is a game, and you can do anything with it. And then when they say that, it means you really can do anything, which means nothing because you need a game. And it's it's got components, and it's got actions and things you can do but that rule book was a nightmare yes yeah i've tried going back through it again just to i'm like oh maybe i can get this thing out i should do it we should do a campaign yeah um if i have another gaming regret it's having too many games that have campaigns yeah because now like if i wanted to set one up i'm like i have to pick one and probably toss the rest of the games (laughs) like i can't do all of these it's just not possible like i need that new rule book so when that comes in 
maybe I'll give it another shot. Unfortunately, a lot of really high-quality wasted miniatures, if they can just pull that stuff together, it would be a, a good day for myth, and it's a shame. It really is. All right, Chris, what about you? What's your uh, biggest gaming regret? Oh, so I'm probably going to catch some flack from at least one person about this. Terra Mystica? No, it's, it's actually not Terra Mystica. <laughs> okay. Um, my gaming regret is another WizKids product. Okay. And it's a regret for a very different reason, but it's Dice Masters. Okay. And I, I think, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but when it first got released, there's a big deal about it. Everyone was giving it amazing reviews. I got, they were like a limited production. I ended up getting two gravity feeds, wow. starter packs, like right in the first month. So I lucked out. I had all this cool stuff. I opened all the flattened cards out because they were such low quality. No one played until I eventually ended up being able to sell it. Yeah. So the whole game, it's a great game, but it, they said they wasn't going to be very collectible in the same way like Magic the Gathering. But if anything, it's more extreme of a collectible game than Magic the Gathering. Uh, the values on the cards in the secondary market are out of this world. So to play the meta of the game, you have to spend a ton of money to keep up with it. I, the production quality is awful. The the dice had bad pain in them. There was the cards were, you know, th- so bad. They had advice forms on how to make them usable cards. I think they may be wow. the same ones in Star Trek in your Star Trek game, like yeah. that thin, papery quality. Uh, it was just it was just really kind of like a. I didn't want to try and get into a Magic the Gathering game, and I finally saw after having a good amount of money invested in it that that's basically what I bought into. And now, of course, there's like five different sets out, and they're rolling out like once a month with a new set. So, yeah, I can, uh, and I've spent money on this too, and I also don't play it very much and have all the same issues with it as you. I do like the core game, but the production quality is so bad, and actually getting the cards you want or need to be competitive is so hard that it's kind of turned me off to actually going out and finding people to play this game with. But I didn't really invest quite that much into it for it to make that high on my list, but it's definitely on the list. Yeah. Well, and the good thing was I could sell all my stuff off very easily. Like I put it all in a box, put it on an auction, and it was gone in a week. So it's not lying around haunting my dreams, but it's I could have got parts of my life back when I said I was doing that. <laughs> Yeah, we covered this on episode 33, and I remember when I just heard about this coming out, and I was talking to people at the stores, and I was saying, you got to get this game, it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, because I really wanted to have that feel of opening this random pack of cards and pulling out something really cool, because we would be at the store, and you know the Heroclix players would have so much fun opening up these packs, and I wanted to open something up, I wanted to go back to like being a kid with baseball cards and seeing what you got and then trading with some friends. And this seemed to be the thing. It was going to be like a dollar for a little kind of pack with two cards and two dice. And the quality was just depressingly bad. And I don't know if there was something else they could have done with it, but it was just really bad. And then the delays were terrible. I mean, we went to a store in Brooklyn and People were asking the game store owners, like, please, can you can you do a tournament or something? And they said they just didn't have enough stock to run anything. And then, like, like you're saying, Chris, everyone who was lucky enough to get, like, a base set early on didn't have anyone to play with. Because you couldn't find any store to run the tournaments. 
And that's the one thing that WizKids does so very well is these tournaments. But there was no product, so there was no tournaments, and there was nothing to do. So maybe you played with a friend and you kind of split your stuff together. And then now they've overproduced on all of these other different versions of it. So even if you did want to play it, who owns what and who owns this, that, and the other? It's like it's fine, but you really can't pull together a really good meta because it's just there's just a ton of random stuff and the meta is just exploded. Yeah, and the, and it's literally you were unable to keep pace with it. No, and, you can't. And they pulled my heartstrings with there was like Avengers versus X Men. Yes, awesome. And then it's like Yu Gi Oh and Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm like, uh, do I have to buy Yu Gi Oh to stay current? <laughs> You know, like then that's and then they're like putting dice rarity now. I want to say one last thing about the the economics of it, and I I didn't real if I would have thought about this beforehand, I would have stopped and never bought into it. But you could buy a Magic the Gathering booster pack for like what is it like three ninety nine? Does anyone know? I don't know. It's it's somewhere in the three four dollar range. Okay, that's guaranteed. Right. Yeah, you're you're guaranteed to get one rare card. Dice Masters, you pay one dollar for two cards. You really have to buy at least 10 packs to get a rare card. At least. So you're paying three times as much compared to other collectible card games to get the same competitive cards that you need. And people will be like, oh, well, you only need one. But the whole system, it's, 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 uh, it's made to trick the human mind into thinking you're saving money on like a collectible. Sure. Oh, so. And I think a lot of people, a lot of other podcasters were talking about this, that they had like so many extra junk that they couldn't get rid of. And I think there was a number like when you, you had to buy a gravity feed in order to get, what was it, like one rare and one ultra rare or something. There was like just very few in it a was, whole gravity feed. Yeah, one super rare per gravity feed. But that was after the first pressing. The first pressing was there was four super rares per six gravity feeds. So you yeah. weren't even guaranteed that card you wanted buying – 180 packs which is that's that's just too much yeah and, and the meta too the uh the way it kind of ramps up it's just you just can't keep up because i know when i play star trek attack wing it's like you have a couple of ships and you're really enjoying playing the game and maybe you'll pick up one or two more as time goes on and then they release a whole nother thing and if you're trying to play even slightly competitively or in a tournament it, it turns out that you need this one card from this other set, and you need one card from this set and one card from this set, and then you have almost an unbeatable combo. But in order to do that, you have to buy like I don't know ten gravity feeds, or you have to you know spend you know five hundred dollars, and then people do that, and then it becomes doesn't become fun anymore. Yeah, but I mean that's how these publishing companies stay in business, and you know if that's what they do to get revenue, and they make other games on the side. I can't get too angry, you know. Yeah, I just think a lot of disappointment with that because I think yeah. it could have been something great. All right, Dave, what about you? Okay, so I have um, two gaming regrets that I'd like to talk about. Number one is Brussels 1893. So this was one of the, like, to me it seemed that 2013 was a great year for Euro games. We had four Steffenfeld productions. We had Glass Road. We had, like, there's, there's a lot of games, like Russian Railroads. There's a, there's a lot, a lot of good Euro games, and supposedly one of the best ones was Brussels 1893. Ryan Messler declared that it was the, the best game of 2013. So I was very excited about acquiring a copy of it, and I was crushed with disappointment when I played the game and I saw how it worked. 
and I just I didn't think it was fun, and I thought it was really ugly too. This is a great example too of a discussion I like to have a lot of theme in Euro games, where most Euro enthusiasts, and and I'm a Europhile, a Euro zealot, will tell you that the theme is secondary; it's not important. We're really looking for crisp gameplay mechanisms that are interesting and present us with interesting choices, but really I feel like theme is still important. And, like, I have to care about why are we moving all these bits on these tracks and these cubes and, like, why? So, Brussels 1893, we're a bunch of rich Belgian art dealers. Like, I don't care. And, and I like fine art, by the way. I like Art Nouveau. But this game, I don't like. I don't. I just don't think it's fun. There's actually some interesting game mechanics in there, but it just seems like, like there was a compositional dissonance between all the disparate mechanisms that are interacting with one another and, and you're selling your art and it just wasn't fun to me so that that was a disappointment especially after the um all the rave reviews it got from reviewers i trust what do you guys you guys also didn't like eight, brussels 1893 no <laughs> we did a review of this Oh, maybe a year ago. We had roughly the same opinion. We were staggeringly disappointed. And it was kind of the same reason. I think what we said was it was too fiddly and it felt like there were things just being tacked on for the sake of having them. Like they were trying to shoehorn in thematic pieces that didn't fit. Or maybe they were playtesting it and they thought they needed to add a mechanic to make the whole thing work. Just didn't really all come together. It was not crisp. It was the opposite of crisp. It was... A fiddly mess. Yeah, we covered this on episode 33, and I was really looking forward to this. Not just Roy Metzler, but Tom Vassell, who is usually not a big Eurogame fan, was like, I really like this. And I was like, oh, all right, so a thematic guy really likes a Eurogame. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this, and we got a chance to play this. And exactly what Anthony said, it looked and it felt like just a whole bunch of different mechanics thrown in there for absolutely no reason and just like random things that you had to do. And I just could not wrap my brain around it. It was, look, if it has a thin theme and it's a Euro game, I'm fine with that. As long as the mechanics are good. But these were really disconnected parts to a whole. I, I don't even know. I mean, it was one of those things where like you were just pulling these random levers for seemingly no reason. And it was kind of a bland game to begin with. So there really was nothing redeeming about this game. And we when we finished this game... We were all like, that was really complicated and painful and long and boring, and I don't ever want to see this game again. Uh, I'm pretty sure we all gave it a dodge, if not a burn. I think we might even gave it a burn, too. As a postscript, I was able to trade it away for Goa, so I was really excited about that. That is an awesome job, my friend. Awesome. I, see, this is one of the other benefits of you, all of our listeners. You need to be on Board Game Geek. You should be rating games. And it's fun to trade games to other people. You have a game that just isn't hitting the table. And why have it sitting on your shelf? You, you, eventually, you're going to have storage problems. You could you could trade it and get something you, you like. That's exciting in itself. Like, you know, shipping off your, your game you're not interested in anymore. And you get a brand new game. You're not put, laying out new money exciting nice so I, I have another gaming regret and it's different from all of our other regrets and that is when i started playing modern board games about like six years ago i was in a meetup group and you know i had been playing games for a few months and and, and uh, i was really excited about it and somebody asked me to play tigris and euphrates and i looked at the game and i thought that looks ugly or not interesting and i judged it on its 
what it looks like. And I regret that I have not played Tigris and Euphrates until I just started playing it like maybe two months ago. Okay. And I love the game. It's a masterpiece. It's a wonderful game. Nice. So, you know, all of our regrets aren't just monetary. You could pass up a game because it doesn't have the attractive components that you're looking for but, hey. but it's really a, actually a fun game you know? i know who you're talking about there anthony man he went right after you there yeah, yeah that's that was totally at me <laughs> well it's funny i i have a lot of trouble getting this to the table with many of my friends and just they, they had the same reaction i had like six years ago they look at the game and it's like uh this doesn't look fun and then, you know, once you put on a table and you actually try to play a few rounds, you're like, wow, this is awesome. This is an awesome game. I'm going to get you guys to play it, and then we can talk about it in a future episode, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to play this. Yeah, it's been on my list for a while. I, I wonder, though, too, if the uh, the new version makes it look slightly more appealing. Final Fantasy Flight's doing it, so it's definitely, you know, the glossy, high-production makeover that it probably deserves at this point. You know, Dave's right. Even for us as, as, you know, kind of hardcore gamers, we do get turned off from time to time. And, and for honestly, for no good reason, because we've played a lot of games that maybe look bland but play excellent. And then sometimes you get a nice, glossy, fancy, you know, cult of the new, and it's just terrible. Zaya. Yeah, so yeah, you, you definitely get those that kind of pop up. So I, I guess we're, we're glad to take the bullet for you. So uh, keep listening and we'll take some more bullets. And uh, hopefully, you know, on the other side too, let you know about some great games that maybe you haven't had a chance to play yet or some other great things about the hobby. So if you've never gotten involved in a tournament, that might be something that you might regret because tournaments can be a lot of fun. If you've not been to a con that could be a big gaming workout because cons are a lot of fun too. And then on the other hand, like be careful about CCGs because they could just suck your life and money away. So there are a lot of different things to kind of keep an eye out for, for good and for bad. In all, we're all gamers and we're all exploring this great hobby and every day we're learning a little bit more. So that's everything for our biggest regrets in gaming. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, and especially our Patreon account. We would love your support. You can always give us a review on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Dave. And we'll save you a spot on episode 74. If you don't make it, it's going to be a big regret because all it's going to be is Drew complaining about Lord of the Rings and superhero board games. Come on, guys. <laughs> save us. Ha, 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 ha.